ready. Hit it. Ready to cut through the BS? And here's some ways to drive your business forward today. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome to Biz Sprints Podcast with your host, Y'all know the name. Michael McMillan. Check it out. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Biz Sprints. This is Michael McMillan, and welcome to the end of February, early March, uh, at least when I'm recording this. So <laughs> if you're not listening to that, just welcome to the week you're listening to this then. This week here on Biz Sprint, we are going to have an interesting topic that I always am excited to talk about, and it is the amazing topic of failure. Um, it is, of course, something we deal with all the time in business, right? We are bound to make a mistake. Uh, if I was perfect, I would get worried and I would probably just understand that I'm probably making a bigger failure because I just think I'm perfect, right? So this week, it is all about talking about those failures we make in business, but embracing them and understanding and learning from them. I, I know you hear this a lot, right? Which is fail fast and learn from your failures so you can make yourself better and be better in business. And what does that mean, right? Like, what are you talking about there? So I've kind of crafted this whole podcast episode around that. I have a bunch of articles we're going to talk about to kind of help reference, uh, but I just kind of want to dig right into this thing. So for you who listen to my podcast here on a regular basis, I mean, this is only number three. Um, All three of you amazing listeners, which I love you to death. uh, Thank you so much. Keep commenting and tell me how I can improve this thing because I am doing this for you. Um, You know, as you might have noticed in the last episode, I personally made a failure, right? Uh, Which is I accidentally did not check my microphone settings and decided to make my entire episode as quiet as humanly possible. So If you've ever done a podcast, you will understand that you love to listen to your own voice a thousand times over. I listen to my podcast probably about six times during the week. Why? Because that's what I do. Uh, But, you know, it was interesting. I, I, you know, I was so excited about my new intro. If you, uh, I would love to hear comments about what you guys think about that thing, Uh, better ways I can make that continue to make that better. Uh, But, you know, it's, I was so excited by it, you know, it's it's loud, it's upbeat, it's rock and roll, it's exactly what I wanted to hear, and then I forgot to check the microphone settings, and it was nice and quiet, so then all of a sudden I had to blast my uh, volume in my car so I could hear my episode, and then at the end, the outro, uh, I had no idea there was a name called outro just by the way. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, like blew my ear off. So, so that was fun. I'm sorry, guys, all to you. i uh, excited to tell you that I did check my microphone settings this week. So <laughs> you should be having a better episode already so far. So like I said, failure, right? So what do we, what do we, you know, look at when we talk about failure? So um, personally, I started to, when I first got into business, you know, I remember the idea of failing was just kind of just monumental. I was like, oh, I cannot fail. I have to do whatever I possibly can not to fail. Like I cannot have people think that I don't know what I'm doing. And I realized quickly, like that is the absolute wrong way to think of things. You know, when I fail, I learn. And when I learn, I make things better. So, you know, again, like I said, I I hate to go to this cliche of, you know, fail fast and all this, but it's true. And when I really started learning about failure is when I started to really start stopping utilizing the word failure and really start embracing the whole idea of area of opportunity or something that I can improve on and learn from and and make myself better from. And from that, 
I, I started to learn more about it. And I started actually researching the idea of, you know, well, how can I embrace failure more? That is what actually started leading me to learning about the lean business model. And then uh, when I got into the technology space, I was uh, immediately opened up into the agile uh, engineering process. So for all my engineering buddies out there, this episode is going to drive you crazy because I'm about to use all of your beautiful agile terms completely incorrect. So I am sorry in advance. You can yell at me in the office the day after you listen to this and I love you all. So um, let's talk about this, right? So Um, Like I said, it's failure, but let's talk about what we take from failure and why I'm talking about agile and lean and all of this, which is, you know, in agile or even the lean business model, they have one principle that they all agree upon, which is this minimum viable product. When I started this podcast uh, two episodes ago, so, you know, so far in, um, I started it with the one simple truth. I remember talking to my wife, Stephanie, and she's like, she goes, are you just seriously going to go for it? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, what's what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to get one person who's going to listen, and it's going to be you because I'm going to bribe you to listen to my podcast. And, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. And then I'm going to make it better as I go along because that's how I do things. I I just want to try it out. And I will listen to people's feedback, take it, take their criticism, take their compliments, and continue to work on this. And that's what I did, right? And I, I've already made my mistakes, but I got the podcast out, right? I, um, you know, there's a there's a term in tech I love, which is uh, it's you know, f it, ship it, right? It's it's a great, <laughs> it's just the truth, which is get it to as good as you can, and then let the public start to experience it, tell you about it, and then make it better. It's so it's it's a great methodology, and why I really embrace that too is is because it then forces me to then deliver to you, my listeners, what you guys really want. And it's interesting because you see this in so many other industries where they don't do this. Now, one of the interesting uh, articles right this week that I ended up coming to find out is about Marriott Hotels. So um, I actually came exposed to this article on another podcast I listened to, which is the Unpodcast. Yeah, if you guys don't listen to this podcast, it's, it's a great podcast, especially around the marketing subjects. Funny, funny guy, uh, couple who actually host that thing. Great podcast to listen to. And they, they had a cool conversation about this. And I wanted to maybe take it a little step further, which is, so the uh, title of the article is Marriott Hotels, Decision to Ditch Desk, this uh, is Business Travelers in Favor of Millennials, critics say. So Marriott Hotels. If you travel anywhere close to as much as I travel, uh, you've stayed at a ton of these things. Uh, I'm uh, personally, I'm a huge Starwood, uh, and Marriott is definitely my number two, and along with Hilton, I stay there too. So of course, right, that just pretty much covered all every hotel uh, known in the United States. Marriott Hotels has done something very fascinating. They decided, they're like, you know what, we believe we know our millennials better than they know themselves. We are taking the desks out of our rooms, taking the desks out of our rooms. I am a business traveler. And there's one simple truth. When I get to my hotel room, I typically have some work I have to do. So what you have just done is make it harder for me to do my work. Great idea, Marriott. So now, 
I have to do the one thing that I love, I can't do, and I love doing when I'm on business, which is actually have alone time in my room to get a lot of work done. No, instead, I get to go down to your lobby where you have these social areas and, you know, networking things, which look pretty much like my office and have everyone trying to network, talk to me, buy me drinks or me buy them drinks or whatever. Basically, I'm not getting work done. I'm going down with my best intention, but I'm about to go buy a martini or a beer and meet a ton of people. Thank you, Marriott. I'm a millennial. I want my desk. Please don't take my desk away from me, right? I love it though. Yeah, what the beauty of this though is, so is, let me, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my, my mouth here and, and, and I hope you guys can follow along with me here. It's just my personal opinion as a millennial, please bring me my desk back. But I love the fact that they decided to take this kind of a risk. Now, mind you, I have no clue where they got this data from. And, and they even try, actually, it's interesting, I went for comment from this. This uh, article came out of CBS News, and the journalist actually went to get comment from uh, Marriott, and they're like, oh, yeah, we have millennials giving us positive feedback. And I could kind of get it, right? They, they kind of still supply you with this little table thing that you could pull over to the, uh, the, the couch, which I could totally see someone like my wife totally digging on. Me personally, I want to sit at a desk. I got a lot of stuff. I got an iPad Pro. I got my MacBook Air. I got my iPhone. I got pretty much if it's in an Apple store, I own it and I might own multiple, which means I need a lot of desk space. You know, I travel with a lot of devices. I'm a tech geek, right? So, but you know, when you put me into a couch, it's just such an awkward thing because I got way too many devices and way too many things I'm working through. Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm back on the track, which is Marriott went for comment and Marriott basically said, you know, they were getting positive feedback, which I understand. But, you know, I hope you guys are learning from this, right? You know, if you listen to the, re- look at through the rest of this article here, what's fascinating is, is all the comments are coming out of this, right? Which is like, uh, there's one on here. It says, it was kind of a cocktail uh, sized table. That's the only place you could sit down and work. It was uncomfortable. So I eventually went to the concierge lounge and worked down there. Um, you know, which is like I just said, you know, it's like, you know, another comment here, there is just a little adjustable table akin to a hospital patient's meal table, but I had to sit on the couch or my bed and use my laptop. Talk about making my back hurt. You know, I I hope, I hope you realize like this is, so it sounds like this is not working, but instead of Marriott, you know, in response to this and taking this criticism, you know, which they, you know, and I, and I think they took it in stride. Of course, they're, they're a huge brand. They're going to take it in stride. But instead of just taking this and just, you know, and then saying, okay, well, how can we make this better? Do we make the table bigger, right? You know, you know, maybe they don't have to bring the desk back, but do we make the actual portable table that they supply better? You know, maybe that's what the answer is or something like that. No, instead they just said, this sounds like a great solution. We're just going to keep going with it and hope you guys can deal with that. That is not the right approach, right? That is what leads you down a nasty path because then you get business travelers like me now where I'm going to start asking questions to my travel coordinator of saying, hey, listen, do me a favor, call the hotel and ensure that my room has a desk or something that is not that little tiny table thing that can't even hold my, you know, my MacBook Pro uh, up because it weighs too much, uh, weighs too much. So, you know, Marriott, you, you really need to just make sure you're paying attention to this feedback because it's, I mean, the outpour of feedback so far is, is that people are just not enjoying the experience that you set up in replacement of the desk. 
Now, again, what I'm saying here is, is that I'm not saying bring back the desk. I'm saying listen to the feedback and take it to a better place. And also, why millennials, right? Like, what did we, like, why are you catering to us? I mean, I am so confused by that comment. I'm, and I know this isn't the topic for that. I'm actually going to that for another episode coming up, which we are going to talk about the whole millennial Xers, uh, boomers, et cetera. So I'll dig into that topic more and I'll definitely probably be referencing back this exact article. But, you know, in, in closing on this one, on the, at least on this piece here, it's just, you know, I, it's the fail, understanding failure, right? And when we're talking about failures in business and, and or just missteps in business, it's, it's understanding the root cause of it, but also the root response to it as well, which is, you know, with Marriott's cases, like I said, people are complaining yeah, initially they're like, "Hey, where's my desk? Where am I going to work from?" And and Marriott did supply you. I mean, all of course, I mean, they did give you a table, right? What they didn't do though is educate their customer that, "Hey, listen, this traditional item that you see in every single hotel that normal business travelers travel to is no longer there." Right? That's the miss. Now, the response is a couplefold, right? They should be in response to this, asking a question back to the people, which is, hey, did you use the table? A, right? Educate first. If the answer is yes, listen to that response. Because the this sounds like, from at least what I'm reading in these uh, in this article, it stipulates is that most people tried to use the table, but they didn't really understand how to use the table or it just wasn't conducive to their exact needs. Now, with that being said, here is where you need to learn from failure correctly, which is Marriott's response to this, in my opinion, should be, hey, listen, okay, we are going to try a new version of that table. And then please let us know what you guys think about that so we can continue to improve it because we believe our no desk policy inside of our hotels is working because people do like the new sitting area, etc. But maybe we just didn't do the right table, right? Awesome response. That's the way to go about it. Marriott, you just saying that you think you're on the right path, it's kind of like putting blinders on, right? Just, you know, try something new. And, you know, it's one of those things where we see this with huge brands and we see this constantly where, you know, these large brands come along and they they believe that they can make the decisions that's in the best interest of me, the consumer. And, you know, of course, I'm saying this as I just admitted a minute ago that I'm an Apple fanboy and, you know, the ultimate company who believes that they can decide what is best for their customers, which in turn, they're kind of right. But also there's a little bit more to that, too. Um, you know, even with Apple, and I'm not trying to defend Apple here or Google or any of these guys, which is, you know, but it's, it's, there is a way to, yes, lead your customer down a path to something they may not know they need. But there's also an idea of most of the tech that they've led us to, right, which is existing tech. And it was tech that people were already starting to embrace. They just made it better, right? And maybe not even just made it better. They just put a great sheen on it, wrapped their ecosystem around it, and delivered it to us. So just something for you to think about with that when you're talking about any of these companies. But specifically with large organizations who do make interesting choices on behalf of their customers from what their perception are of things is going back in time to the days of Blockbuster. So uh, for most of you listening to this podcast, I would assume you guys remember Blockbuster, right? And for my younger generation listening to this, if you don't remember the Blockbuster stores with VHS or DVDs, um, keep up with me. Uh, Ask your parents, right? Which is 
Blockbuster had stores everywhere. I I mean, when I up until I think I was like in my twenty, uh, like early twenties, maybe teenage years. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't go to a street corner. You didn't see a Blockbuster, or at least in our neck of the woods, Family Video, right? There's just all of these video stores everywhere for movie rental. And I mean, because that was the only way you could get movies back then, unless you bought them. And no one bought movies. I mean, you just everyone rented. So every weekend, Friday and Saturday night, you know, you'd go to your local Blockbuster to get the movies you wanted to see. And hopefully they had some in stock still that you wanted to see because you got there early enough. Or you waited around for someone to return it so you can get it, right? It was just, that's how things were done. That's how the culture was done. You know, but now fast forward um, up into 2000, about 2003, 2004, 2005, you started seeing this and, you know, with DVDs and things started to come digital. Things were starting to head that way. You can see it coming. And it was fascinating is that uh, I found this article in Variety, uh, Variety just kind of talking back to those days. And it was talking about even most interesting is, is the fact that Blockbuster actually were presented with the option of buying Netflix. Now, uh, as we all know, that never happened, right? Uh, even crazier is to hear is the amount which was uh, Netflix was willing to sell Blockbuster their business for $50 million. Um, if for those who are not aware, Netflix is now a multi-billion dollar firm and Blockbuster is out of business. Fascinating. Talk about a failure, right? What does this teach us though? And what does this teach us about business? It's not that you can get everything right, and you surely won't. And it's not the fact that you know failure cannot, you know, won't not end our business. Because I mean, this is a great case, right? This, this could have saved Blockbuster. There's a lot of other contributing factors to why Blockbuster went down. But what I wanted to bring this up for is, is it actually posed an interesting question in this article, which is, you know, it was talking about their CEO, and he was kind of like I mentioned there. He's running with blinders on, right? He believed his business model was. Spot on. There was no changes that needed to be made. When we're talking about failure in business and we're talking about learning about your failures to make sure you're driving your business forward, we're also talking about taking chances. And we're talking about taking chances that are very risky to the overall health of the organization, but when done appropriately, can end up driving that business forward vastly. So when I when a lot of you when you hear speakers talk about fail fast. What they're not telling you, though, is take the chance and take the risk and be okay to fail. Because if you take the chance and take the risk, you might end up finding more success than you do true failure. And I could tell you from my own personal side that most of my success in business has been actually exactly from that, is I am a rule breaker, right? I I, I will be in businesses and I was a very much an you know sorry an intrapreneur for most of my life working inside of larger organizations uh, and working as an entrepreneur and pushing the company to a place that it wasn't comfortable normally going to and this could be like hey what if we take this service and this service and this service and pair them together and charge three times the amount and just see what happens with it and you know I'd see my you know head of operations look at me and he's like you're out of your mind, but I know you're going to do it anyway, so go ahead and try it because I could totally support you. And some would work. Some would actually work amazing. And we'd all of a sudden have this kind of new business model that we're going to go and rule the world with. And others were complete 
failure. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember one, I just off the top of my head, I remember where I'm like, Hey, we're going to do this outbound campaign thing. This is again in my call center days and we were an inbound you know, customer service center. But I'm like, Hey, let's just try it. You know, we we're great. People love us. You know, we're good at talking to people and helping them. Let's try this outbound sales thing. And it was a disaster. <laughs> it was just, it was not a good idea. Um, and, and again, it was because, you know, it could be a lot of contributing factors and many times it is, it could be the wrong client, the wrong messaging, the wrong, you know, the wrong audience, the, the wrong employees to actually try to support this, whatever. But The fact of the matter was we tried it. And the even more interesting piece was is that though the core business that we actually were trying to support, which was around this whole uh, outbound selling for uh, this mobile technology, though that, that specific part didn't work, we ended up coming to learn that we were really, really good at actually interpreting a lot of the data that could actually lead the company to higher sales success themselves. And what that taught us was is a way to actually look at our data in a new fashion. And that finally brought us to a place to where we actually ended up leveraging a lot of that experience and a couple other pieces going on in the background to actually open up our consulting business in that organization, and which ended up leading us to a tremendous success in the organization and allowing us to have a nice differentiator in our business. But, and the core to this here, right, is, is it all started with taking that chance, being okay with risk, and even being more okay with the fact that we may fail. Then the final piece there, which I don't want you to miss here, which is doing a retrospect as a team and all of us embracing the fact that the failure was cool. Like we're, we're beyond that, right? Like no one's losing their job. Everyone's okay. You know, yeah, it wasn't that cool like to do, you know, and we felt bad that, you know, the, you know, we had to kind of admit failure, but the retrospect allowed us to see that spark of opportunity. And that spark, like I said, ended up leading to a great, a huge success for our organization. And, you know, we really saw some, some great things come from that, but it's that idea, right? And being willing to take that risk, you know, and we look at here, you know, again, like this article we were just talking about, which is, you know, that's what Blockbuster was not willing to do. You know, he's being presented with these new ideas and there's a quote in here, actually, uh, which is saying uh, about this is about the CEO of Blockbuster. He says he lacked the vision to see where the home video industry was going and the changing shifts in the business under his feet. Uh, and then another uh, former high ranking Blockbuster executive uh, also said, recalling, we had the option to buy Netflix for $50 million and we didn't do it. They were losing, they were losing money. They came around a few times and we kept saying no. Um, and then it's funny is that we go to the other side of it, which is uh, Barry McCarthy, the Netflix former chief financial officer. Uh, he was actually quoted in an interviewing saying, initially they ignored us. And that was much to our advantage, right? Yeah, I'd say so, right? You know, it's, you know, now all of a sudden you own a billion dollar organization yourself. And, you know, the organization you were trying to do your best to sell to is uh, no longer around. And it's, you know, and again, and on so much that just draws from the simple reason is that, the blockbuster team was just, you know, from their leaders, you know, probably down, were set up in a culture that they did not believe in taking, you know, taking those huge risks, being able to embrace failure and learning from it. And it's just so critical in business. So, 
you know, when we take this risk, right? So, and we, and we, let's say we are in a culture and we're willing to start taking risk. Um, especially we see this a lot in startup, right? Um, and I'll tell you even more so, um, and when, I mean, I don't care what startup you're in. I know you're taking huge risks every day. I mean, you wake up, you just took a risk in the tech world. I will just tell you though, it is almost frightening the amount of risk that these companies are willing to take, which I think is cool. It's what actually personally drew me to tech, to tech, right? It was like, man, if I'm going to, if I'm going to cut my teeth on something, you know, something different outside of the industries that I was most comfortable with, I'm like, let's just go all in, let's do software. And I jumped in both feet and it's been it's been wild to see. I mean, it just is such a competitive industry. It is such a fast moving industry. I mean, I, I, you know, right now as I'm recording this, it's almost 1030 at night here on the West coast. And I could tell you if by the time I'm done recording this, we'll have probably changed three different things in our technology to improve it, to make it faster for our user. That's the speed in which this world runs. Why do I? Why am I emphasizing that so much? The reason I'm emphasizing it so much is this kind of to that comment I made at the top of the show, and I keep repeating here, which is, is you know, be okay with failure and fail fast and learn from it faster. Um, so I found this article uh, from a gentleman who I've uh, respected for a long time, which is uh, it's actually from so it's from Inc. Magazine. Uh, and the article is all around the, uh, sorry, the title of the article is how the best leaders turn failures into success. And this article is very fascinating to the fact of the, that, you know, it's actually not just talking about why we should fail and how we should fail and what we should learn from failure. Uh, but it's also started diving into the idea of what failure does in the fact of how we run our business. And it was really interesting to me for when I found this article. I mean, like I said, I, I read a lot of Inc. Magazine personally. Um, and I'm sorry, this is uh, from uh, Norm Brodsky. Um, he's a you know regular contributor to Inc. Magazine. And you know, it's he has this uh, his initial quote here says it's become a cliche that entrepreneurs should uh, try to turn problems into opportunities, which is so true. And in addition to that, uh, he goes into the uh, this conversation about you know, and this where I was getting with tech is that one of the big risks we have to take is the willingness to be able to run unprofitable, right? You hear this all the time. If if you've been uh, basically, if you're in the world, you hear this. How many companies are selling today for ridiculous evaluations, and they're not making a dime? One in one of the largest companies in the world right now, Amazon.com, right? Huge company, billions and billions of dollars of revenue, losing money. And the problem is, these large companies, who are, like Amazon, who are doing this. It's teaching some very dangerous business practices to many entrepreneurs. You might need money. I get it. You might need money to stay in business. I even get that more. Uh, Trust me, been there, done that. Go take on some debt. Go get a loan. Pay the points. Pay the interest. If you believe in your business that much, you should have no worry whatsoever about taking on some debt into this business then. Just do it. Prove out the model, get it repeatable, get it scalable, get it set up for success, get it set up for a place for an investor to come in and take you to the next level. Because what you have to understand, and this is what so many you know, entrepreneurs don't understand, is that when you bring on an investor, 
most investors, we need our out. You know, I am sending my money to you to hopefully get a good education, learn to make more money, and bring more money back with it, right? I am not just giving you money to try out your hopes and dreams and hope that you make it. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what's happening here. You are going to see my money for a finite amount of time, and more money is going to come back to me from it. And based upon your business, you know, this can, most of the time, that means there needs to be an exit strategy. And if there's not going to be an exit strategy, I am going to be on you about how I'm going to get my money back out of you as fast as possible, because I want my money back because I have other investments I need to do. And that is something you need to understand when you're dealing with an investor. That is the mindset in which we are coming into your business. We are not coming into the business typically with the understanding of like, okay, we're going to work with you to figure this thing out. And, you know, and no matter what, we're here for you. It's yes, we're there for you. We want to do this. We want your business to be successful. But again, it's so we can get our money back out of you, right? That's what we're there for. Let's not forget that part. Okay. Alone, on the other hand, the it's all, it's all built in. You get money, you pay points. And that's it. And at the end, you still own your business. Because if your business is a success, and if it is going to take off, by giving equity in your business, you are, you are completely giving the most expensive piece of your business away. Uh, in this article, uh, actually, I love the fact that uh, Norm actually brought this up, which is, he has a quote in here which just says, when entrepreneurs are starting out, they think equity is cheap because it doesn't yet have value, but it will co- become valuable if your business succeeds. In fact, it's the most expensive thing you can give away. So borrow the money if you can and pay interest. Pay interest and borrow money and prove your business is real. And how do you do that? You do that by being willing to take risk and not be afraid of failing. Be okay with it. Be excited by it. Embrace it. uh, Celebrate it. And teach it to the rest of your staff to do the exact same thing. If you do that this week and you can really get your staff behind the idea of we are going to start this week out with taking some of the biggest risk we have in this business. And when we fall on our face, we're all going to get behind you, pick you up, learn from what helped you, what tripped you up, and then improve on it and take it over and then go at it again. You are going to see an immediate shift in the way your business approaches things. And I don't care how big or how small your organization is. That mentality is what is going to drive your business forward. And it's what's going to allow things to become better. Because just like with this podcast, like I said, it was just a switch on my mic that I messed up. If I was, you know, many people, I would have given up. I would have said, oh, that's, that's it. I got my four listeners yelled at me and told me not, you know, like the audio sucked. Don't, and I'm never doing it again. I'm done. I'm embarrassed. Too embarrassed. Too, way too embarrassed. No. What did I do? What, sorry, what did I do? <laughs> I took my switch, I flicked it back where it belongs, and I'm right here recording another episode for you guys. So keep your head up, start embracing failure, get excited by it, get your team to do the exact same. Because if it's only you and your team's not behind you, you've done nothing. Start taking some risks, ladies and gentlemen, have some fun with it, learn from this Biz Sprints uh, podcast that failure is cool. It's okay. It happens. I mean, hey, what can you do, 
right? All we can do is pick our head up and keep moving forward, learn from it, get more successful, and be ready to win. So everyone, to your success and prosperity, I look forward to speaking with you again next week. My name is Michael McMillan. Have a wonderful week. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thank you for listening to Biz Sprints Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us at bizsprints.com for more tips and tricks to drive your business forward. No doubt about it.